0: You're listening to the Eyes on Conservation podcast, episode 74. Welcome to the Eyes on Conservation podcast, where we bring you engaging conversations about wildlife conservation from all across the globe. I'm your host, Matt Podolsky. Today, we are talking with Mark McDonald, who is the founder of the International Coalition of Rhino Protection, an organization committed to saving rhino populations in southern Africa. Mark breaks down the troubling nature of rhino conservation and explains why it is so critically important to provide support not just for the rangers that are working on anti-poaching patrols, but for their families as well. We're extremely pleased to have Mark on the show. Let's jump into the conversation. All right, I'm here with Mark McDonald, who is the founder of the International Coalition of Rhino Protection. How are you, Mark?
1: I'm very well thanking you, Matthew.
0: I'm fantastic. Thanks a lot for coming on the show today. The the first question I have for you is: um, I'm I'm hoping you can just introduce our audience to uh, this organization that you founded, the International Coalition of Rhino Protection. Um, I mean, how is this organization that you founded working to protect rhinos?
1: Well, thank you very much for for giving giving me the opportunity. Um, ICorp was founded after I returned from Mozambique, where I'd spent several years on the front lines protecting rhino, and I realized that we have to do something um, really, really neat to, to carry on supporting the men and women on the front lines. We needed to make people aware all over the world that there's a real war being fought to save animals. And that's, why, and that's how um, i was founded. Uh, there had to be somebody standing in the gap um, that knew intimately what was happening on the front line
0: you know what what sort of the approach of the organization you know what what is that gap that you are trying to fill with this organization
1: well what we try to do is we try to do a four-prong approach so there's a lot of organizations out there um, collecting money and funds for wildlife which is fantastic you know and um, that's how a lot of the wildlife can be saved in the world but I, I was looking at something different because your rangers on the front lines have families. So, so we're not only supporting the ranger with equipment and, and gear that they need so that they are able to fight the fight, but we look at their families. So we, we, we uh, pack birthing kits, um, mozzies, mosquito nets. We, we help the families far away from where their loved ones are working out in the field with all sorts of welfare um, um, situations, then we looked at um, how better can we can we supply these guys? What else do they need and We have trained canine units being trained. we then donate them to the reserves and national parks and anti poaching teams are they are detection dogs that are that are highly trained and then the fourth approach was the runner cough. Um, a situation where hundreds of little rhino calves are orphaned and themselves badly injured through machetes and gunshot wounds Um we, we then uh, we've identified with an orphanage that we support but overall we do a lot of talks to educate people about the the whole industry the whole black market of rhino horn and and that's important to us Matthew
0: it seems to me, at least, like, like you've tapped into this really important piece of the puzzle that has to be solved if we're going to addre- you know, really address this issue with rhino poaching, which is providing support for the rangers, right? And these guys are doing a job that is really important, but also extremely dangerous. So I definitely want to delve a little bit more into sort of the details of how you run uh, all these different programs. But first, I want to ask you about your background. When did you start? working with or becoming interested in wildlife?
1: Oh, 30 years ago, 30 years ago, Matthew, um, I came out of. The, look, we, we had to do military service in Southern Africa. So I spent my military service up in Angola, which, um, not in Angola, but close to Angola because those years we, we were in a conflict with, with uh, Cubans and all sorts of people in Angola. And after that, um, I, I decided to pack my bags and, and start working in Botswana. Uh, probably the most beautiful place, uh, naturally uh, with wilderness, one can imagine. And that's how I started my career. I, I worked in Botswana and, and, and landed up um, in the Kruger National Park, where I worked for over 10 years. And um, I then decided and realized that um, there was something more to it. And I changed my focus on conservation, uh, education. That's what I was very involved in. Um, uh, to law enforcement and wildlife protection, and landed up in Mozambique where I um, started my anti-poaching career.
0: I'm wondering if there was a specific event or uh, you know something that you saw that inspired you to take this step to create this organization, the International Coalition of Rhino Protection.
1: Well, what happened was um, I did come across a poached rhino, and it made me realise that that how vulnerable these wonderful and beautiful animals are, and and that made the penny drop. I realised, wow, we need to protect these animals. And you know, years ago we only had 30 or so poached um, a, a, a at a time in a year, and and that was just wow, it's just can't happen. You know, we're talking about 1,350. Rana that were poached in Southern Africa last year. <laughs> so yeah, we, we've got a lot of work on our hands, Matthew.
0: Yeah, and that's just unbelievable, you know? And um, I mean, this is something that has been prominent in international media for the last few years. Despite that, I think there are still a lot of people out there that, that don't really have a full understanding of why this is happening, why now? You know, Why is it that there has been such a dramatic increase in poaching activity in recent years?
1: Well, the thing is, the, 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 um, a lot of things happen in Vietnam. It's all driven by, by, by the need, by the user, the end user. Vietnam, uh, Korea, uh, those areas are, are, are driven. That's the, the people use horn uh, to fulfill certain beliefs and myths and traditions. And, uh, you know, the economy crashed in Vietnam uh, some time ago. And now, uh, horn is, is a status symbol. I mean, you can trade with horn. Um, it, it's believed to have medicinal uses, which is absolutely not true. Um, it, you, you can, it's the same texture as fingernail, Matthew. So, so it's driven by, you know, it's almost like um, Vietnam. In one year, they, 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 they believe that a that tortoise, tortoise shell does something. Um, and then they believe that this does something and that does something. And at the moment it's rhino horn and it's killing it's killing it's slaughtering an iconic species in southern Africa. They even want the flap. So where you chop the horn off is a little bit of skin just adjoining the horn. They want that as evidence that this horn has come off a wild runner. It's almost like um, you know, that adds it adds value to the horn, which which unfortunately um, we need to, well, what we need to do is we need to devalue the horn uh, and, and, and value the animal.
0: I do wonder if your organization is involved in trying to sort of make that connection between where the demand for these products are and where the products are coming from.
1: Yeah, look, we, we fully understand where, where the demand is. Um, Matthew, what, we, what we're doing is on the ground, working with all the local communities and bringing children and school teachers and people that make decisions, because what's happening is the syndicates are set up by um, a very wealthy uh, Vietnamese. They set up in Africa with um, with not good people on the ground. So they, they, they you've got a very big, strong um, mafia-run style syndicate that 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 then prey on poor men, poverty-stricken people around national parks or reserves. Um, or in cities, and pay them um, a, a lot of money that they don't see in their lifetime, uh, and that's how this whole thing is driven. So what we're doing is we're going out, we we educating the local communities on how important tourism is and how a rhino can actually benefit them indirectly through jobs and having little shops and all sorts of uh, economic benefits. But the other prong approach, and that is why we're talking this morning, Matthew, is that people are made aware of how important funding is into I-Corps so that we can go to Vietnam. So we're going to try and fight the fight, not just with boots on the ground, but with education and, and educating it on both sides from where the act is committed to where the act is planned and where the horn eventually lands up. You know, you talked a
0: lot about, you know, the importance of education as well as providing support for rangers, but also their families. You know, what was sort of your first step? Did you start with providing support for these uh, anti-poaching patrols?
1: Well, I'll tell you a little bit of just a step back a little bit, Matthew. I, I, I was up in a big reserve in Mozambique. And I, I was working with a bunch of the most committed men I've ever worked with in my life, and we were running around the bush with pepper spray and batons against armed poachers. And that, and that, unfortunately, is how the owners who were sitting offshore um, made us work. And I just realized that that was not acceptable, and I had to myself bribe certain, org- certain agencies in Mozambique so that I could get um, firearms. Now, that doesn't sound very good, but I had to do what, what the Romans do. When you're in Rome, you do as the Romans do. And that's how I had to have my men um, armed so that we could at least defend ourselves in the case of when we were shot at. And we were shot at many, many times. Then the death threats came, and I, I was threatened so badly with death that I, I decided to return to Australia. And that's how the whole seed of i was born, was that we can't have men and women running around on the front lines. That are not properly equipped, and um, out of my own pocket and uh, with a couple of my friends, we continued to support these men um, and and other organisations until I realised that I needed help. I needed serious assistance. Um, I couldn't afford keeping dipping my hand in my pocket. I'm I'm not a wealthy man. I'm a ranger working on a farm in Australia. So I I I then founded iCorp and. It it wasn't very long. Um, um, look, I we founded it through um, having to register it as a, a wildlife charity in Australia. So we had to conform to uh, all the necessary um, um, policy that Australia has, uh, and we have an ABN number, and we had to register it, get a constitution. Um, we've got our directors in place, and and now we have members, and we're starting to grow 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 the organisation. Um, uh, that is how we came about, Matthew.
0: Clearly, you've explained that you know, one of the central tenets of the organization is you know, providing the equipment that these anti-poaching patrols need to do their job, right? And it's crazy that you have these anti-poaching patrols out there who are not armed um, when they're being shot at regularly. Maybe you can talk a little bit about the obstacles that you have to overcome in order to provide this equipment to these anti-poaching patrols? I mean, it sounds like it was really difficult to get the equipment that was necessary for the, uh, uh, the patrol that you were working on in Mozambique.
1: Yeah, I know. Look, um, when we talk about Mozambique, we talk about a fairly corrupt um, country <laughs> to say the least. If you get to a border post and you're carrying any um, new kit or any gear or anything like that, you pay huge amounts of money to get it through the border. Um, so you you you, you adapt. Um, so so yes, we, we battled the obstacles was the main obstacle was was funding. Um and, and seriously that was a bit and it still is a huge obstacle, Matthew. You, we 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 have to make sure that these teams are able to operate in a sustainable way. And remember I Corps got their own anti-poaching unit, um, called Kokuta Anti Poaching Unit. And and not too long ago we were um, we were called. I was called by a gentleman in Mozambique to ask if we would please come and assist him, um, uh, uh, as his his animals were being poached severely, and poachers were using his property, his reserve, as a springboard to get into the Kruger National Park. So, so, so yes, the obstacles is the main obstacle. Matthew is really funding, getting people to understand that this is real, and and also unfortunately the corruption in Mozambique and other areas that we operate in. You know, you know, let me tell you as well, you know, even coming down to the justice system. So a poacher gets caught um, from, from um, having, been, having killed a rhino. They go, to, they go into a, a justice system in South Africa where they're given bail, $200 bail. Now $200 bail, mate, is, 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 is ridiculous. And these are the things, bail, light sentences. Um, a, a case has been thrown out of court because of the lack of evidence. The corruption within the justice system, the corruption in the police system, the corruption in the customs system, it's just, it's just one big mud hole, Matthew, and that is what makes us more and more determined and our resolve stronger, that, that, that we have to have a strong force on the ground to, to combat all of these issues.
0: Your organization I-Corp, has uh, its own anti-poaching patrol on the ground in South Africa. Um, I mean are there government run anti-poaching patrols as well in that country or in other countries in southern Africa?
1: Yep yeah, you've got you've got uh, several scenarios. You've got all your big national parks. Uh, let's take for example, the Kruger National Park was is, is, a, is a big national park run and um, it sits below the Department of Environmental, uh, in the Department of Environment and, and Summing Affairs in South Africa, big national parks they're well funded they've got um, you they've got anti poaching units in 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 all little pockets of the national park run in certain sections and let's just say in the last year or so the Kruger National Park received four hundred and eighty million dollars Matthew okay now you take um, a private private anti-poaching teams that are working on private Rana uh, owner reserves, they all self-funded. So the Rana owner has to fund that, and this is where iCorp comes in. We don't fund national parks. We fund and assist anti-poaching teams in private reserves that do not get any funding from the government. Um, And so that's the difference. So you get get um, um, government-managed and run anti-poaching units, and they're actually using ex-military or military police and the rangers working in those national parks, whereas private reserve, like the chap that phoned us from Mozambique, he's a private reserve owner. He owns a little reserve in Mozambique, and he's got animals there, and that's that's who we're assisting.
0: Earlier you were talking about how this large-scale illegal wildlife trade is operated, right, and the fact that you have these Vietnamese illegal organizations that are in these countries um, and who are approaching these individuals who are living in poverty and sort of making them basically an offer that is really difficult for them to refuse because of the situation that they're living in. I mean, it it sounds to me like a central component to uh, your mission and the mission of of I-Corp is to sort of counteract that by making the offer of maybe joining uh, an anti-poaching patrol seem like a better alternative, right? Because you're actually providing support for the families. I mean, are you going out and like recruiting people to join these anti-poaching patrols?
1: On the ground, it's, it's, it's just so sad because there is a confrontation. Now let's take it from there and I'll work it back to the family and the social aspect. You're walking in the bush um, on a patrol and the, you come across three poachers. The one man is carrying an AK 47, the one man is carrying the chopper, backpack, and the, the supplies, and the other chap is carrying a 458 heavy caliber firearm. They're going to be making um, uh, that, that horn that they've got, they've chopped off, they're going to be getting, well, it's going to be sold for $75,000 a kilogram, Matthew. These men are not going to give that horn-up easily. So there's a confrontation. One or two of them get shot fatally. The other one gets away. Now, remember, they've got families at home. Who's going to now um, um, provide for those families that these two men have have been taken out of the equation? And now you go back to that family. Um, That is why I call, when we go into reserves, we immediately start a liaison with the community elders, um, and in the first in the first couple of weeks or so, we there's a bit of resistance, there's a bit of uh, distrust, um, but eventually we actually win over uh, the trust because they can see that we are sincere and we're not handing out um, um, provisions. We are bringing the community around the table and saying to them that these are your opportunities in terms of of, A, stop providing the poachers with, with manpower. All you're doing is you actually, um, it's it's committing suicide because um, anti-poaching teams are going to protect the rhino and they are going to protect wildlife. And at the end of the day, we create an environment where people can see that they benefit through um, having them uh, do co- uh, uh, curios, um, having them... Uh, put on little shows for the tourists um, and so forth. So there's a whole social aspect. There's an impact socially in the environment around national parks where poaching takes place, and we don't want to be sh- going out there. It's not about shooting people, Matthew. Uh, 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 and if you can, und- if people can understand that, it's about protecting wildlife. Men, rangers, many rangers have been shot and killed on the front lines, and we also very. We that's why we feel that that not just putting boots on the ground and equipping rangers to do the job, but the social aspect for I-Corp is incredibly important. The children at schools, incredibly important, that we involve them in the whole story of protecting rhino and other wildlife. By getting the community on your side, you are creating a very good ally. And we find that in many cases where we've got the community on our side is that they become very good informants, and they will inform us when there is and are uh, dodgy people around, so it works very well for us, um, and they become very proud of what they have, and 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 so forth, and they they themselves will 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 uh, um, will get poachers to leave the area. So it works very well, and at the end of the day, it's a win-win situation for everyone.
0: Um, You're also providing support for these orphaned rhinos as well, right? So maybe you can talk just a little bit more, give us a little more detail on sort of that aspect of the mission of of, of I-Corp.
1: Well, you know, um, many little animals um, come in dehydrated because the cow is normally shot. The cows actually have bigger horns, longer horns than the bulls. And you find that this little animal has been uh, shot at. It's run away. It's probably come back. And it and lies next to its mother, uh, uh, nudging her for milk or whatever the case be. for, It can be for days. Uh, and then the uh, rangers stumble upon it or, or uh, they, they spot it through, through aircraft spotting. And yeah, you've got this little animal that's dehydrated that needs urgent attention. It, uh, it hasn't just come through a traumatic experience, but it also needs serious veterinary help. Uh, and that costs a lot of money, Matthew. You know, um, a little animal like that, 150 kilograms in weight bo- at birth. Um, you can imagine how much food it needs and the type of formulas. So, so we support these, this organization that handles, there's many of them, and we, we selected um, a, a Wild Heart Wildlife Foundation, and we selected them because they do quite a lot of work, and we, uh, we want to make sure that we help these little guys survive because what's important to us is that these rhino eventually are released back into the wild and that for us is important so they don't land up in, in zoos and cages and, 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 and whatever. That they, that they go through a period of, of, of assistance and then they're released back into the wild.
0: How long has iCorp been around? How long has it been since you created the organization?
1: Well I created it in, in April so you can say in April we we basically got the platform, we got the registration through, so from April we, we've been operating
0: the The organization has not been around very long, and I mean, to be honest, I'm I'm blown away by everything that you've been telling me about and, and how much you've accomplished, you know, in, in that
1: short period of time. I think Matthew, it all boils down to my background. You know, I, I would, I don't, I, I'm, I don't want to take anything away from anyone else, but I think it's just my deep, deep, uh, um, personal, um, the personal experiences that I had out in the African bush for years. That I that that's that I've made me look. I, I am a project person. I'm a I'm a project manager as well. So I do. I've spent a lot of time planning and and implementing what I what I plan. Um, you know we and 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 it just probably shows that there's a, a real big need. You know if people understand you know what's happening that that the mortality rate of rhino is more death than there's now births. And that that I think. Um, it, it makes me realize that we that we have to make hay while the sun shines, Matthew. We we you know, I spend a lot of time um, liaising, contacting South Africa, you know, getting people together and so forth. So yeah, we, we I must be honest. And I've got an excellent team of directors. It's all ladies. Um, I've got a, a, a chap in South Africa, actually my son Matthew MacDonald, he's he's a ranger in the Kruger Park, he's one of our senior members and Mark Friedrichs, he's, 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 he's the operations man for Krokuta. So I've got a fantastic team um, pushing and pulling and doing all sorts of things at the same time. So I want to give credit to these people. Um, but I think we're all pretty motivated because we know that um, our clock for rhino conservation is, is, is ticking away, Matthew.
0: As troubling as the situation is that you sort of laid out For us, at the same time, it's inspiring to see what folks like you and uh, all these other folks that are a part of this organization um, are are doing and and to see that there are people out there that that really care about this issue and about rhinos and are working so hard to protect them. Um, So what's next for you and for I Corp? I mean, what still needs to happen to solve this issue?
1: Well, there's some few exciting things happening. Uh, if I can just quickly tell you, Matthew. Um, I've managed to uh, make contact with a fantastic young man, Matthew Hewlett, in Florida, USA. Now, what we're doing is we're bringing out ex-marines or ex-military guys to come and help us do advisory work and training in Mozambique. So that, that's the one big project that's happening right now. And they come out for two months. They then donate um, $1,500 for the two months. And that assists uh, Krokuta to be sustainable. So we can buy food and we can pay the four permanent men that we have in the unit in Mozambique. So that's the one thing. The second thing is we've got two fantastic volunteer programs where people that don't want to go, look, we don't allow a normal civilian to go onto the front lines. What we've done is we've taken, we've selected two fantastic programs, volunteer programs, that's on our website. And people um, can can have a look at them, and they can decide. So one program is to work with African elephant for 21 days. Um, it's elephants that have been um, either shot or hurt, whatever, and they've come to a, a a facility where people are able to work with them. And the other program is for people to work with a whole variety of of wildlife. Um, and that and that's very exciting for our corp that we're able to put those two major projects together. Um, and yeah the main way icorp's going now is is to build a strong membership base um, and also i'd like to just say that that iCorp has been registered as a non nonprofit in Florida USA, so <clears throat> we're working hard to build the membership base we We believe that organizations run well with good strong membership bases, and from that you get volunteers with specific skills that are able to to um, uh, all join hands, and the other, the other very big step that we're taking is trying to um, create a international awareness by by sharing um, information with other organisations and working strong closely together. We can't work in isolation, Matthew. We have to work together to save these iconic species.
0: An issue like this, it requires both approaching the issue on a local community level, which you have clearly explained you know how you are addressing that component of it. But it also requires thinking about this issue from a global perspective, right? Um, and, and you make clear that you're certainly uh, thinking on that level as well. And uh, you've provided these opportunities for folks living outside of Africa to uh, participate in this project, which is it's really amazing to hear that. So, as sort of a final note, maybe you can just tell our listeners, you know, where, where they can go to uh, learn about these, these volunteer programs uh, uh, that you mentioned and, and, and get involved in this issue. Uh,
1: uh, people can go onto our website. Uh, our website uh, is a typical example of what people can do. That website was actually um, donated. It was built by somebody that loves animals for us So we we're very very um, grateful. People can go onto that website. Um, It's www.icorpprotection.org. I C O R P, and then protection, not double P, just icorpprotection.org. And they can go on there, and they will be able to um, uh, open it. Every all the information is there. Exactly what they can do. The donate button is there. Um, they can decide uh, there's a there is a portion open that they can see where their dollar goes to so uh, everything is well explained what we also do is once we get a donation I personally as the founder write each and every single person a letter of thank you um, uh, for for their contribution so we we acknowledge people and what they do for us
0: it's really fantastic like I said to hear about this this critically important work that you're doing. I've learned a lot over the past 30 minutes just by chatting with you about this issue. So yeah, I really appreciate you coming on the show and sharing this valuable information with us. And um, yeah, all that information about the website um, and how to donate, um, I will put that up on the show notes page for this episode so folks can can find that there as well. And uh, yeah, thanks a lot, Mark.
1: Matthew, before you go, I'd like to just say this, that we'd like to invite you and your organization do walk a journey with us, and and really, I feel that um, having you people involved, I don't want to have this as a as a as a conversation we've had, and we both walk away, and and that is the end of the story. I really, ICorp would really like to stretch out, reach out to you guys, and say you've got an open invitation to join us in Africa at any time you want um, to come and experience what we experience on the front lines.
0: I guess I'll just say real briefly that the organization that I work for, which is also a nonprofit, I mean, focused on video production, uh, the sort of central core of our mission of the mission of Wild Lens um, is is to use filmmaking right as a tool for addressing conservation issues. And so it's it's wonderful for me to hear you know from other nonprofit organizations out there that that share this uh, sort of collaborative vision right so so i really appreciate that offer um and and i will certainly take that very seriously (laughs) um I, i would love to take you up on that um sometime so yeah thanks a lot mark thank you matthew all right that was our conversation with mark mcdonald from the international coalition of rhino protection And what an amazing individual Mark is. He clearly recognizes the importance of thinking on both a local as well as a global level when working to address this illegal wildlife trade issue. Um, And I'm inspired by what he's been able to accomplish in uh, such a short period of time. I also see it as really important how Mark and his organization, iCorp, have shared a number of ways for folks living outside of Africa to play a role in the conservation and protection of rhinos. This is a global issue and people from all around the planet really have to come together to address the rhino poaching issue in a comprehensive way. So please take a look at the iCorp website and see if any of those volunteer programs that Mark mentioned are a good fit for you. That website again is iCorp Protection. That's IcoR Protection.org. And of course, we'll have that link as well as a few other relevant links up on the show notes page for this episode, which you can find at wildlensinc.org slash EOC74. This episode was produced by myself, your host, Matt Podolsky. Our theme music is by the humidors. <laughs>